So as I mentioned just now, we have our national leader, Donovan Kutsia, with us, and Patricia Kutsia. Uh, I've known them for more than three quarters of my life. Uh, they were actually my pastors as a 10-year-old um, through to the age of about 18. So I don't know what that says about them. That You can judge that however you like, for better and for worse. They were, they were my pastors. Um, Donovan is the husband of one wife, as I said, for just under 50 years, although they started dating about 50, 51 years ago. Uh, four children, three grandchildren, leads dozens and dozens of churches all around the country. And one of the things that I was thinking of, because I was trying to think, what, what haven't I said about uh, Donovan in the past? Um, I remember as a child and as a teenager, which I don't think is often the case, being able to actually really enjoy uh, the sermons and being able to actually understand a lot of the sermons. It's often challenged me to think, okay, would, would a 12-year-old or a 14-year-old or a 16-year-old be able to make any sense out of what I'm saying on a Sunday? So Donovan modeled a lot of very practical, um, easy-to-understand information as a teenager, and, it, and, it, and it, helped me, it helped me to build a foundation and a bridge. So can I get you to please stand to your feet and welcome up onto the stage, Donovan Kutsir, please. Oh my, thank you. You may be seated. There you go. People say such kind things, you know. Uh, actually, you want the real me? Ask Patricia and my children. Uh, I once did a, a, a thing, uh, a, a program, um, and there's Dave. He was one of the guys in that program. Uh, we did a thing called Promise Keepers, and it was uh, an hour once a week for eight weeks. And one of the things you had to do is you had to go home and get your kids and wife to give you a mark out of 10. Can you imagine? So I went to my two older boys and I said to them, I'll lift it up and you can adjust it. I said to them, give me a mark out of 10. And both of them, Ryan and Kevin said, no, no, we're not giving you any marks. I said, no, it's just a thing I'm doing. No, I'm not giving you a mark. I think they didn't want to disappoint me. No, I'm being dead serious. And then Lindsay was a little girl. She was, she was about four years old or something. So I said, Lindsay, give me a mark out of ten. She said, two. <laughs> so Patricia said, come on, Lindsay, it's not that bad. Okay, four. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like a little girl to be absolutely honest about her dad. Eh? I think the, th- the reason she did that was when she was born, I had a big, big, bushy moustache. And, uh, you know, she hated it, absolutely hated me coming near her with that moustache, so that even today when she looks at me, I think what she says is a moustache. Okay, uh, but be that as it may. Really, it's good to be here. And actually, Andre de Villiers, I've known Andre de Villiers for 51 years. They were the band playing at a gig. We used to call them Twist Session. How many of you are old enough to go to the Twist Session? <laughs> twist again. Like we did last summer. We, we used to twist. <laughs> and their band was playing there. And um, it was that day that Patricia and I started going out. Can you believe it? So Andre de Villiers has been connected to my life for years. I want to say, he, I've always said, when I die, there are three people that I want to sing at my funeral. Andre de Villiers, Roy Orbison, and John Bon Jovi. Amen. <laughs> we, we went to the John Bon Jovi concert. It was fantastic. We had horrible seats because as 
usual, as Christians, we bought the cheapest seats, you know, in the stadium. And we were like miles away. Like we, we were still listening to the second song when he was singing the third song. And that's how far away we were from the actual music. And then Sean Phillips and I decided we're going to go look for seats closer to the thing. And we found the press, the press room, the press office, with the press, and no one was in there. And we, and we told the ladies to come, you know, typical of them, are you sure? Will this be okay? For goodness sake, the place is empty. Let's get there. We were so close to John Bon Jovi that when he sang, lay your hands on me, I said, no problem. It, it, I mean, <laughs> it, it, was, it was such a, anyway, it's good to be with you here today and to enjoy life and love the music. I want to say this, your, 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 your music's gone up since I last was. you gone up a level, Okay. Really, it has. It's, it's, uh, it, whoever's working on it, whatever the case may be, it's really great. And Patricia's saying, so nice to see the building with all the screens. I like your big screens. Lovely atmosphere in the place. A pity you haven't got a big billboard out there telling people about your church. Everybody should know about it. Amen. But see, you haven't got a billboard. You've got you. So don't just tell people. Invite them. Amen. Are you going to put me on there? Are you struggling? Am I okay? Am I cool? Yeah, I'm up. The Magnificent Seven. How many of you saw the original movie? Okay, there we go. Your Brunner, etc., etc. But I love the theme, The Magnificent Seven and uh, the I Am's of Jesus. So I'm going to speak on uh, Jesus, I am the resurrection and life, but completely different to what you've heard before. So I'm going to put a whole lot of eclectic stuff together so that you can uh, maybe get something out of it. So let's read together. When I say let's read together, I don't mean read out loud. I did that in the church once. I said, let's read together. They all started. I said, hey, we're not Anglicans. Be quiet. You understand. I've got nothing against Anglicans. I love Anglicans. I once preached in a Catholic church. Uh, Father Fred, let me come there. I said, you Catholics are weird. You dress the guy up like mother. You call him father. Um, Then they made me climb up these stairs 10 feet above contradiction. Okay, so here we go. This is what it says. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. This is obviously an English version of the Bible. Can you believe that the United Kingdom and America, these two great nations of the world, are still stuck in miles? Shocking. And that's why they want to Brexit. Okay, here we go. So Now, Bethany was less than two miles away from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, he who is coming into the world. Jesus once more deeply moved. Now, you'll notice I'm jump. I can't read the whole chapter. I haven't got enough time, so I've put the verses up that I'm reading. Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man. By this time, there is a bad odor. If you read it in the King James Version, she said, he stinketh. (laughs) For he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. 
Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth round his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. In other words, kill him. That's what it says in normal English. You notice today they interview people. They say, uh, he, he said an untruth. Just say he lied. Have you noticed that on the news? He spoke an untruth. <laughs> anyway, what an incredible story this really is about a guy coming out of the ground. I, mean, I don't know if you can picture it, but there's so many things happening in the story if we use our imagination. And the first thing I want to say about this story is this, that the name Lazarus only appears twice in the New Testament. There are only two people called Lazarus, this guy, uh, Lazarus, who's raised from the dead, and the other guy who was a beggar, who sat at a rich man's gate begging and, and, and hoped that the crumbs falling off the table could be given to him and allowed the dogs to lick his sores so that he could have some comfort. Anyway, the Bible tells us that both the rich man and this guy died and they went uh, to their various places. The one went to Hades and the other one went to Abram's bosom, which was the beggar. And then the guy in Hades, the rich man, said to the Lord, Lord, please, eventually he said, please send this guy back to tell my brothers that they shouldn't live the way they do because they're going to end up where I am. And then in the parable, God says to, 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 the, to, to, to this rich man, even if I send someone back from the dead, still they will not believe. And guess what? He raises a man from the dead and gives him the name, Lazarus. And even after he has raised him from the dead, four days in the grave, in full view of everyone, some decided to plot with the scribes and the Pharisees how we can kill him. You know, why do I say that? Because some people say, if I see a miracle, then I will believe absolute rubbish. It's not about seeing a miracle. It's about God opening up the eyes of our understanding that we may really understand what it, what it means. That's why he says, I am the resurrection and the life. You don't get that through intellect. You don't get that through information. You get that by revelation. The word revelation means to pull the curtain aside. The word mystery is the word veil. A mystery, it's, it's a veil. That's why it's a mystery when women wear a veil in those cultures because no one knows what the woman looks like. She's a mystery to everyone except when she gets home to her husband. She takes the veil away. It's a revelation. Only he can see what she looks like. And so we need God to pull the veil aside to give us a revelation of who Jesus really is. Can I get an Amen. So it's important for us to get that. Now, the story on the resurrection is an important story. Jesus had to say to her, yes, I am the resurrection and the life. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees were divided. The, the, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection, amongst other things, but the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. So this was an object lesson to get the Pharisees and the Sadducees to understand that the resurrection was a reality. Now, the reason the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection is because they were Sadducees. You see, 
You see, when you've got no hope of the future, you're sad, you see. Amen. But the Pharisees can see far. That's why they're Pharisees. Okay, no, but that's just to help. That's just to help you remember some of the stories. So that's some of the background, maybe like some of the theological background to this story. But first of all, I want to have a look at this. When Jesus arrives, and it's not even two miles down the road, Martha says, we told you he was sick. We gave you warning that he was sick. We told you that he wasn't well. But you took too long to get here. And so what Martha says, and Mary says it later, she says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now let me tell you what, this is a bit of a rebuke. She's rebuking him. She's saying, why weren't you here? Why didn't you turn up? When we needed you, where were you? You understood what was going on. You know all things. Now I want to say this to you, that she was actually disappointed in Jesus. She was telling him, we gave you all the time in the world. And I want to say to you and to me today, that so many of us have disappointments in our faith. I don't know about you, but one of the things that really gets to me is disappointment. Horrible to be disappointed. It's like, you know, being a South African sporting supporter. Thank God we beat the Scots yesterday. But you know, we we so often know how to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. (laughs) How many of you know, it's like this, I can't, I mean, we drop a bat in the final of the the World Cup cricket. I mean, how many teams have done that? Eh? Very few. And then we get a referee from Australia. He can't help himself. Look at his ancestors. <laughs> He's a cheat. God bless the Aussies. Amen. But, 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 but we, we all know what it's... I get, you know, I have in life disappointment. And people say to me, what are the things that affect your disappointment? I get disappointed by people. And you know what? You just got to live with it. But actually, to tell you the honest truth, the person who disappoints me the most is me. I get disappointed. I sing these songs. In you alone I trust. Then I go out there and I don't. I get I'm going to live for you and then I do things and I think that cannot be living for God. And I say to myself in meetings like this, God, yeah, I am. Work in me. And then it's not long after that I find, you've gone and done it again. What's the matter with you? I don't know if I'm speaking to anyone here today, but disappointment. You know what? One of the areas that remind me so much of disappointment is my weight. You know, every day I weigh myself, every single day. People say, you shouldn't weigh yourself every day. Hey, I am not taking a chance to come back a week later and get an absolute shock. You understand what I'm talking about? I, I rather want to, I, I want the drip method. I want to, I want to get there slowly. Okay. So, so and, and here's the weird thing. You eat what you shouldn't eat. You know you shouldn't be eating it. And you eat it and you know you're lying there on the couch watching TV and you feel like chocolate. And we've got this big tin full of stuff, for goodness sake, for the grandkids. And, and, and I raid it. And then I tell myself I shouldn't do that. And then the next morning, I know, I'm going to weigh myself. I take my glasses off. I'm, I, I, I strip myself down. I clean all the dirt out from under my... I make sure I am not carrying an ounce of weight. And I actually get onto the scale and I pray. Can you believe it? I mean, why would you pray when you know what you've done? And I'm going, dear God, don't let it be at this number. Ah! <laughs> am I, is anyone getting any help here this morning? It's, it's, it's such... 
But, you know, that's making light. But you know what? You can't be disappointed for the simplest of things. But let me tell you, the worst kind of disappointment is when you're disappointed in God. You can. You can say, I'm tithing and what's happening to my business. You can say, I'm coming to church and look what's happening to my family. You can say, Lord, I'm trusting you. Why am I not getting healing? Come on, I need some amens out there. Every bit of my theology tells me that this should not be happening. God, what are you doing? What are you doing here? What am I supposed to be learning? All these religious people that come and say to me, so what's God saying to you? And I'm like, foot sack. I don't want to talk to you. (laughs) If you're a visitor from another country, ask a South African to explain that word to you. But you shouldn't say it to humans, only to dogs. But the point I'm saying, the point I'm trying to make here is, We get disappointed. Can I get an amen? Maybe you're here today. You know what? You're actually disappointed in Jesus. Maybe you're single and you can't find a partner. Maybe your business is in trouble. Maybe your marriage is taking stuff. Maybe your kids, you've been a good parent. You know what we like to tell people when their kids don't turn out like they should? We say, well, well, what did you get wrong? Well, you know what? We've got four kids and they're not the same. They all grew up in the same house with the same rules, with the same instruction, with the same bringing up. They didn't all turn out the same. I'm happy with the way they turned out. I'm so glad they're more like their mother than their father. I'm glad they got her brains. I kept mine. I needed it. But you know what? We can get disappointed, and people can pile it on. Maybe you're disappointed in in, in just your faith, and people walk away, and people get discouraged. I want to say to you, keep believing, and you will see the glory of God. In spite of disappointment... We will see the glory of God. Amen. So number one, there's disappointment. Then I look at the story and I see something else. I see that there are two people, two kinds of people, two groups of people involved in this incredible story, in this incredible miracle. There's Jesus and us. And I like that about God. It's always Jesus cooperates with us. He invites us to cooperate with him in miracles. And you know, Jesus can do a miracle without you and me. He can work with nothing. He he, he creates from nothing. He doesn't need anything to do something. He says, come on, I want want you to be involved in this. And so when I read the story, I see there's there's the element of Jesus and there is the element of us in the story. So first of all, let's have a look at what Jesus does in the story. It's very simple what Jesus does. What Jesus does in the story is a miracle. You and I can't do miracles. Only he can do a miracle. He can do the impossible. We can do what's possible. And often we don't want to do what's possible. We want him to do the impossible and the possible. But he says, no, we're going to do this together. We're going to work together and make something happen. So here I see when, when, when Jesus goes to the tomb and it says, Jesus did this, he said this. He called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Isn't that fantastic? You know, you need to understand that Jesus is in a cemetery. He's in a graveyard. Aren't you glad in a cemetery he shouts, Lazarus, come out. Imagine if he said, come out. I mean, there would be people popping out all over the place because death has to obey his command. You see, he is the resurrection and life. Life always trumps death. And death has to listen to life. And death cannot overcome life, but life will always overcome death. 
death. And so Jesus stands there and he says, Lazarus. And I mean, Lazarus may be dead, but you know what? The voice of God, the voice of Jesus can pierce your disappointment, can pierce your darkness, can pierce the death you find yourself in. Man. And so Jesus does the miracle. And Lazarus comes out. But check how he comes out. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I don't know about you, but I mean, how did he, did he float? Did he hop? He was bound. He was bound. Hello. I can just imagine this incredible scene of this guy wrapped up in grave clothes, but he's alive. He's alive. And Jesus says, that's the part I do. So Jesus does something weak on it. But then we move on to what we can do. So number one, Jesus says to take the stone away. <laughs> Remove the stone from the grave. You see, when Jesus asks you and me to get involved, you know what happens? We always find the but. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah but. But Lord, you know how hard this is. But Lord, you know, you know I've tried before. But Lord, I was trusting you. But Lord, why did you allow this to happen? The buts that we bring to God when he asks us to get involved in doing something that will change our lives. And so she says, you want me to roll the stone away? Can you imagine the smell? Who wants that smell? I don't want that smell. I don't want to live with that smell. So often, you and I, will not roll the stone away because it's going to be uncomfortable. <sighs> if I help that person, what is it going to be? What's the demand on my life? Hmm? People say, I need your help. You go, yeah. <laughs> but I can see what this is going to cost me. Amen. And so there's resistance to what God wants to do. Just very quickly, there's a young man. I get to church one day in the town hall where we used to be. Some of you used to be church there in the town hall. And I get there and the cops are there. I preach somewhere else. I rush back because we used to have lunch on Sundays uh, as, a, as a church. And I rush back and I get there. The cops are there. But they're just across the road anyway. And we've got one of these elders, Pit van Staden. Quite an eccentric guy, those of you who know him. And, and Pit's involved and the cops are there and it's freaking out. And, and there's this family, a mother, a daughter, and a son-in-law. And it's Takira. You know, Takira. It's wild. It's like a horse. That's when you cross a gemsbok with a horse. And stuff's happening, so I get to say, what's going on? What's going on? And the bottom line, there's this young family, they're in serious trouble. The woman's got mental problems. They've got two, three kids. The one kid's up in foster care. The other two were in foster care. Now they're home again. And um, they're arguing about the, the kids and who the kids should belong to and whether she should be in the institution, blah, 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 blah. So I tell the cops, go home. We'll sort this out. I take them home. I sit them down. I find out that they've got massive debt. She's got mental issues. She's been in an institution. All her kids have been in foster care. After every kid, she has to leave a kid to foster care. She's in serious trouble. She got two of them back. The one's still stuck with the foster parents. And they've got massive debt. I said, do you want me to help you? Yes, please. I said, right, you've got debt, okay? Number one, 
you're going to give your car back. You can't afford this car. The guy goes, well, how are we going to get anywhere? I said, I will drive you. And how am I going to get to this? I said, you work for the railway, you get a free pass. All you have to do is get to the station, I'll give you a bicycle. I gave him my eldest son's bike. My, my son was not impressed. <laughs> I said, now we're going to cut up your credit cards. Bring them here. There's the scissors. You cut them up. Huh? Cut them up. Cut, 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 cut. I said, right, now, I'm going to get your debt paid. I'm going to get a couple of businessmen together. We're going to open up a trust fund. In the name of your children, we're going to pay your debt. We're going to buy them school uniforms. And you, young lady, you're going back into the institution. You see, rolling the stone away (laughs) isn't always easy. And then they said, but if if she goes into the institution and I leave for work at six in the morning, what's going to happen to our kids? I said, no problem. I will be at half, half past five every single morning. I will wake them up. I will wash them. I will feed them. I will get them to school. I'll get people to fetch them from school. We'll put them in an aftercare. We'll raise the money. And I'll make sure they get home when you get home. I did that every single morning. I'm not talking about me. I'm just talking about the fact that the reason we will not roll stones away so people can hear the voice of God is because we know it's going to cost us something. Amen. Let's move on. (laughs) So often there's resistance, but faith has to be active. Jesus said, I want you to roll the stone away. So number one, number one, they took away the stone. Do you know of anyone who needs a stone rolled away in their lives so that they can hear the voice of God? Do you know of a good deed? Because you see, good deeds lead to good will, lead to good works, which lead to good news. So when you and I are prepared to roll the stone away, the good news becomes audible. And people can hear that there is life. So number one, that's what we do, us. We do what they say. And let me tell you something. When you look at those graves of those days, it wasn't just a stone. (laughs) Jesus was actually asking them to do something Difficult, significant. The question is, are you and I prepared to get involved to the extent that we will, and I want to say we, because we're the community of God's people, will we roll stones away so other people can hear the voice of God? And the second thing is Jesus said to them, take the grave clothes off. (laughs) I mean, they, they were dirty. They were smelly. And you would think that having seen a miracle, that that will be an easy thing to do. And Jesus was saying, you see, I call people to life, but often they're still bound. The stone's been rolled away. They've heard the voice of God. Resurrection life comes to them, brings them the life of God, but they're still bound. They're still blind. They're still beating about, hopping around with no liberty, no freedom, still stuck in a stench, still stuck in the past, the past of death, 
The past of Dreyfus, it clings to them. So many of us, you know what? The smell of death clings to us. The things we haven't shaken off cling to us. And guess what? People can see it and people can smell. You want to tell me no one could see the grave clothes? It's visible to everyone. Do you tell me no one could smell the grave clothes? It was obvious to everyone. And so often in our lives, it's obvious to everybody that we're struggling with something and that we need help, but we live in denial. Can you imagine? There's Lazarus. He's all bound up. He's come back to life. Jesus is there. And they say, we're going to take the grave clothes off. And he goes, no, 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 no. If you take this off, I'm naked. I'm going to be exposed. People are going to see what I really look like. Man, this is powerful stuff. Now I need these grave clothes removed. Doesn't matter what it exposes. Doesn't matter what becomes visible. What I'm going to get is freedom. I'm going to get liberty. Come on, I need some amen. So we need these grave clothes removed from us so we can get liberty. So guess what? I know that in this church there's a program. You know what it's called? I suppose you're sick of it. Well, I'm not sick of telling you about it yet. Why not? Because I know that I know people. When people do this, something begins to happen in their lives. Something begins to change. Can I get an amen? And we're talking about growth track, and we all know what growth track's all about. First of all, we know that growth talks about knowing God. How do I know God? I can know God when someone rolls the stone away so I can hear his voice. And rolling the stone away could be just inviting people, making contact with people, speaking to me. I want to tell you something. I do my best to roll stones. I, can, I work on people. I work on my own family's nerves. I work on... You know, we, we go somewhere, we, we're overseas, we're going to a pub, we're going to have a meal before you get judgmental. <laughs> we're going to have a meal and whatever there is. And Patricia and this couple, this couple in ministry, they, they, they walk into the pub and when they get to the table, the couple go, where's Donovan? She says, I suppose he's talking to someone somewhere. And I go outside and I find these two guys work for Sky News. And I sit down and I find out where they come from, where they're born, if they're married, divorced, how many children they got. I said to this guy, man, if I was just here a week longer, they'd be in church. Years ago, we used to have a meeting for young adults at a place called Primi Piatti. Remember when they were still the flavor of the month? These places come and go. And anyway, we used to go to the one at Willowbridge and we used to book out the whole place. It was like on a Tuesday night and it was just young adults there, over 100 young adults all over the place. And, and then I would speak for five to seven minutes. That's all. And I'd have to stand on a chair. Otherwise, they couldn't see me. <laughs> and there was no place to stand. I'd stand on the chair five to seven minutes and I'd speak. And the, the, the girl, the lady who was the manager of this place, her name was Ray. And, and, and you can see she had quite a past. And, and, and she, I mean, the mileage was all over her. 
Okay, and 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 she, but she put this thing together. She she put the tables out. She even got the rest of the people, the shops in Willowbridge. She got them to to give us uh, gifts for vouchers and put them on the table. And if you were lucky, like Oprah Winfrey, you know, <laughs> you got a gift, you got a gift. And she would put this all together and she would make it happen. She was amazing. And 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 so one day I said to her, I said, Ray, you're amazing. You 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 serve us, and I want to be of service to you. Connor, Connor, do something for you. She said, What can you do for me? You support me. You come here. I said, No, no, no. no. I want to do something special for you. I, I want you to come to church. Uh, no. No. I don't do church. I don't, I'm not asking you to do church. I'm asking you to just come once. Can you come once? No. I can't come to church. You don't understand. You don't understand my life. I don't have to understand your life, right? She said, look at me. I said, I'm looking at you. Look what I look like. Covered in tattoos. And this is the only clothing I've got. I don't have church clothes. I said, Ray, I preach in that. I look like that when I preach on Sunday nights. Not in the morning, but in the night. She said, yep, yep, yep. listen. She said, you don't understand how bad I am. I said, church is for bad people. She's like, she was fighting. She said, you don't understand what a bad mother I've been. You don't understand that I've had four kids and I've only got one that I'm allowed to take and look after. And you don't understand that one of my children got killed and I was responsible for it. And you don't, and she's telling me her story. And I'm saying to her, Ray, I don't care. Jesus specializes in people like you and me. Eventually, you see, this is a big stone. It's heavy. Eventually, I say, she says, I don't know how to get there. I said, Patricia will come fetch you. <laughs> she says, we only finish, only finish it this time. I said, Patricia will fetch you, bring you straight to church. No, no, no. I don't want, I want to come in my own car. I don't like hanging somewhere. She, you can follow her. Listen, I mean, you, you, it's like, but, but this, you can't, I'm not rolling. You're not going to roll the stone away. No, no, no. We're going to roll the stone. Long story short, she turned up. It just so happened on that day, we gave a car away. We bought a car for someone in the church who was struggling. And she was there. And I called her up on stage. I said, I want to introduce you to this incredible young woman. She told me, I could see, her legs were buck. Honestly, I had to hold her up. Her legs were caving in. We prayed for her. We, 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 we prayed God's blessing upon her life. She sat down, I preached the sermon. You all know what happens at the end of our sermons if you want to know Jesus. You want to hear his voice, put your hand up. She put her hand up in a flash. The meeting was over. I looked for her. She was gone. Gone. I phoned her. I said, Ray, where are you? She said, I couldn't stay there a minute longer. I couldn't. It was just overwhelming. I was going to, I'm going to either be sick or I'm going to faint or if someone talks to me, I, I don't know what I'm going to say. And, and I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have put my hand up. I will never be able to live like this life. I can't do it. I'm bad. I said, Ray, Jesus specializes in people like you. You just need to have the grave clothes removed. She's still serving God. 
She couldn't come. You know what? As wild as she was, she couldn't come to our church. She said, no, your church is too wild. I want to go to a more conservative church. <laughs> but who cares, man? Isn't that a fantastic story? You know what happened to her? She got to know God. You see, when we roll the stone away, we get people to know God. But how many of you know, that's not the end of the story, is it? We don't just want people to know God. We want people to find freedom. There are too many Christians, especially Christians my age, Christians who come from our era, that, you know what, they've been known, you know, I've been serving God for 40 years. Now you're a liar. You put your hand up 40 years ago, but you ain't serving God, man. You're religious. You're legalistic. You don't have any freedom. There are too many Christians walking around bound. And you don't need deliverance. Maybe you do. Maybe you do. I don't know. But I want to tell you what. You just need the grave clothes taken off. And you know what? Jesus gives us life. But we help each other to find freedom. That's what people don't get. That's why in small groups where people can connect and people can talk to each other, they can find freedom. But you know what I like about your church? And your church is the first church in the whole group to do this. Not only can you find freedom in a connect group, you can actually join the freedom course or whatever it's called. And I've heard incredible stories. All the staff at Urban Edge came and did your conference, your, your weekend. They were blown away. Pit Fund started and said, all the conferences I've been to does something out there. But this thing did something for me in here. Wow. And he's been serving God longer than me. Hey, I want to tell you something. Some of you need freedom. I need freedom. You need freedom. Everybody needs freedom. We'll write a song. Everybody needs a, Amen. We're gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to do a rap song. I'm going to do a hip-hop song. Everybody needs freedom. Now, when you and I have the stone rolled away, when you and I find freedom, that's great. Now, we can make a difference in someone else's life. You see, a changed life can change lives. But when we don't have our lives changed, How in heaven's name can we change someone else's life? So I want to encourage you, get your life changed. Hear God, know God, find freedom, get the grave clothes taken away. away. Why? So that you can move from here and roll a stone away from someone else's life and you can help take grave clothes off someone else's life. There's so many people who need help in these areas and I want to encourage you. Once you've got the grave clothes on, you can go mad. Hey, what do I mean? Mad. Make a difference. And we are here to make a difference. We're here to, you know, we've got so many of these people who appreciate, oh, we're going to change the world. I'm tired of that now. I've had enough of that. I've done my best. I've done my best to get the whole of South Africa saved. I've done my best to change the world. But you know what? I've discovered I'm not going to change the world. But guess what I've discovered? I can make a difference. I can make a difference in someone's life, in a shop, down the road. And let me tell you something. There are so many people, and I don't talk about myself. I've picked up corpses, many. Abandoned bodies, abandoned corpses, at salt of a mortuary during our troubled times. When people were lying five deep in the mortuary, where there were not enough fridges for the bodies, the stench, the tag on the toe, the bullet wound in the head, the stab wound in the chest. 
I remember a young boy from this town. Somehow he was connected to us, to our church. Somebody in my church phoned me. A guy called Leon Schonknecht. He's got a relative. Their 10-year-old son, Ryan, went to a party. And the mother got home from work, and the boy wasn't home. She phoned the mother of the party. She said, Is Ryan, did, has Ryan left for home yet? The mother said, oh, Ryan didn't arrive. She phoned the police station. Yes, there was an accident on your main street past your malls there, Bloberg, whatever it's called. She went and she found out obviously it was a son who was killed. Somebody went through a red light. Poor, poverty-stricken. I fetched that little boy. Fetched him off the stainless steel table, all sewn up, 10 years old, blonde hair. Wrapped him in a black plastic bag. Went to the Jewish cemetery, bought a cheap coffin. Got the grave dug. Did what I could to roll a stone away so that that woman could hear the voice of God. You say, why are you talking about yourself? I don't know how else to tell you that it takes effort. You've got to roll your sleeves up. You've got to get involved. And in that way, you don't change the world, but you do make a difference. Amen. J.F. Kennedy said this, one person can make a difference and everyone should try. Can I get an amen? One person can make a difference and everyone should try. And guess what? You know, we, we, again, we, we, we get this complex of, you know what? Keep it simple. When you get too complex, you forget the obvious. Look at the person next to you. Think of the person who lives with you. Think of your spouse. You can become a better husband, a better wife, a better father. A better, you can do one thing, one thing in your life that could make a difference to the people who live closest to you and live with you. You could begin to keep, you know, Patricia, I get irritated and I'm living at a time in the world where I'm easy. I mean, look, politicians are freaking me out at a level I've never known. I don't even want to mention some names. I can't, I won't. I'll upset some of you. Oh. <gasps> And you know what? That gets into you. And then your, your wife's talking to you and you're not listening. You know? You, 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 you pre, how many of you are preoccupied when your wife... Now, how many wives have husbands who are preoccupied when you're talking to them? That's a better answer. Let's get a more honest answer here this morning. You know? You, you, and she says to me, are you listening? No. And then, ah! why are you raising your voice? I'm not raising my voice. Maybe you can make someone a cup of tea. Maybe you could phone your mother or father who says, Why you never phone me? If you're that mother, stop it. If you're that child, do it. Make a difference. Because when you and I learn to make a difference in the small things, You'll be able to roll stones away in people's lives. And all you young people, there are not many of you. Where are you? Make your bed. Make your bed. You'll, you'll never change the world if you can't make your bed. Amen. So what we see here is I'm the resurrection and the life. He comes to make a difference. He makes a difference in our lives. Others make a difference in our lives. So we can make a difference in other people's lives. Can I get an amen? 